the beauty of a submissive wife. The beauty of a submissive wife. We've got seven verses as we enter into chapter 3. And uh, man, I tell you, I, I love that Peter continues to call us into submission. All the expressions that, that he's covered already, um, this is where we've been. We've, we've looked at civil authorities, all civil authorities. The call then to submit there is a call away from rebellion and sin and into what I'm calling the freedom of submission, which is to obey the Lord as sovereign and obey those authorities He's sovereignly placed over us. And then we looked at submission in the workplace and what a light the Christian can be when he joyfully uh, submits to his employer, his supervisor, and how that shines, a light. Uh, when others go dark, we shine bright, right? And now today, submission in the home, specifically submission in marriage. What does it look like, and, and, and how does it shine bright in a culture that is completely set against the things that I'm about to preach, okay? So, if you ever wondered if it is a, a truly like being an alien and a stranger to be a follower of Christ, a, a Christian here, well, it's embracing these things that will make that really happen, right? If you, if you ladies are, are talking with uh, uh, friends or neighbors and you're delighting in how you submit to your husband as unto the Lord, you might really feel like an alien in that moment. They might look at you like, what planet are you from? Well, let's dig a little deeper into the topic of submission here. I want to go back to the beauty of submission in chapters 1 and 2 of Genesis. Just think about this. Now, authority and submission are pre-fall realities. This is important for us to acknowledge. So many would say that, that authority structures and submission structures are only the result of sin and the fall, and therefore they are not righteous and noble and should be um, ignored in some cases altogether, they say. I would say just the opposite. God, as sovereign creator, established a, a structure, an order in his good creation. He created the man in the garden. He put him in the garden. Well, he created him outside of the garden, placed him in the garden, and then gave him to the work. That is a work that he was under the authority of God to accomplish. And then he found that the man did not have a corresponding helper. And so he caused the man to fall asleep, took from his rib and fashioned woman and brought him to the man. A, a, a corresponding helper, one who would help him meet the assignment God had given. That was the first marriage. So you have headship, you have joyful submission, corresponding, coming alongside to help Adam as Eve fulfilled her role. In the fall, Satan sought to subvert the beauty and glory of this, right? So who did he go to? Did he go to Adam, the one who was to be the head and the protector of the, of the home? No, he went to Eve. And he successfully tempted Eve and led her into rebellion against God to disobey God. She was in that moment usurping authority that was not hers. She did not consult her husband. She did not even go to him and say, should we do this? Is this a good idea? Let's, let's talk. No, she simply took and ate of the fruit. And then look at what Adam was doing. Passive man standing idly by, not fighting back, not protecting his wife. He was sin, sinning in passivity as he then partook as well. 
So you see, even the original sin itself was an attempt of Satan to subvert some of the beauty of God's created order. And that brought about uh, a horrific result that the world testifies to today. You don't have to look far to see the echo of that decision. Now, in chapter 3, God came and part of his curse on the woman was this. Just after he said, you're going to feel pain in childbirth far more now. It's going to be intense pain. Then he said this, Eve, your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. Now this translates then on out to this, this judgment of God. What does that mean? It means that rather than joyfully coming under his covering, the woman, the wife, is going to desire to usurp his role, to take the reins from him and to, to uh, take his place, to overcome his headship. And the sinful display in the husband is he shall rule over you. This is a sinful, domineering, self-centered, um, harsh ruling over the wife. This is also an ugly response and History proves this, doesn't it? It's on display. You don't have to look too far through church history, uh, through, through any history, really, to see the subjugation of women in horrible display. It's, it is awful to see what I would call the misuse of strength to push women down in a way that is absolutely sinful and abhorrent to God. You also see the sinful... Um, women's liberation movement, it is nothing new under the sun, by the way, just so we're clear, of, of late years recently here. This goes way back. It is in uh, the sinful rebellion in a woman's heart to, to rail against those in positions of authority. And so the women's liberation movement um, pushes into new territory even in our day. It continues to push and push. This is sin. Same enemy, same Satan with the same temptations to subvert and, and, and mar the beauty of God's creation. So, a couple positions for you to be aware of here today. The egalitarian position, which I'm going to just call the cultural position, okay? It's not the biblical position, although I will be saying, uh, it's important to say this, many churches, even in our county, subscribe to this cultural position. Uh, position, I think largely because of pressure, not because of Scripture. Okay? The cultural position is that there are no gender-based distinctions either in the church or in the home. Sameness is in view here. The, the argument is that men and women are the same. They should be able to do the same thing. They have access to the same thing. And so egalitarians will put women in roles of pastor and elder. This is wrong. This is, this is not right. This is very blatantly against Scripture uh, in so many places. We are a complementarian church, a uh, two-point complementarian church. And uh, I, I've done it before in the past. I don't have time this morning to move through all the Scriptures that show these verses clear as day. But that means that we believe the Scriptures call us to that men and women are equal in value and dignity. That is so important to see. And yet, at the same time, 
different by design and assigned differing roles, both in the church and in the home. So what happens is, is egalitarians will say, no, if, if they have different roles, they have different values. The Bible says, not true, not true. And you'll see in our passage today how just blatantly untrue that is. The scriptures herald both. So in our church, men only are elders. And that's not because of tradition, right? We don't just hold traditional views or this is how we've always done it. That's a wimpy conviction. Don't, don't do that. Go to the Bible and find scriptures and then believe them and let your convictions flow from the book. So men are the elders in our church, not because they're better, smarter, or of, of more value, but because God has given that role and assigned men to that place, that office, that, that function. Christ is the head of the church. The men are to be under shepherds under him. So elder, pastor in that role, lay elders. And uh, as a vocational elder, I'm a, I'm a pastor in that sense. And then members are called to submit and tuck under the leadership of the appointed elders as we all together submit to Christ, who is the head. Now in the home, the, the man is to be the head of the home. He is to be responsible for his home, both for his wife and for his children. So here's how I would say it. This is a helpful way to kind of sum it all up in one slide. God's good design for marriage, which is in focus here today, is that the husband exercise humble headship, humble headship, that loves, serves, and leads his wife like Jesus loved, served, and led the church. Okay? And you'll see verses that build this out soon. Wives, you are called by the Scriptures in obedience to God to your husband in joyful, not bitter, not begrudging, not grumbling, but joyful. Intelligent, okay? This is not mindless. This is not everything you think is right, therefore you just make all the decisions. No. Participatory, intelligent Submission from the heart, from the heart, okay? So you're going to see this kind of unfold more in the verses as we cover them. I like to think of it this way. That this illustration is helpful. I, my mom was sharing this, and uh, I find it very helpful. Um, this is an umbrella for those of you who don't know. Uh, <laughs> when we moved up from California, I remember we had like four of these because in California, when it rains, people freak out. Um, and we were, we were walking one day uh, just after we moved, and we had an umbrella. And I remember just thinking, why is everyone looking at us so weird? Like, what, is this weird around here? And sure enough, when you live in a place where it rains a lot, you don't really think about these. It's just water. We're getting wet. Who cares? You just keep walking, right? So for those who don't know what this is, it's an umbrella. People in the rest of the country use these when it rains, Okay. <laughs> This is a cool illustration of what headship in marriage looks like, okay? Who is called to hold the umbrella by God? The husband. He is to hold the umbrella. What is the purpose of this authority, this headship? Well, protection and provision. And so the wife is invited then to come in in his loving embrace 
under his banner, as it were, under his authority, under his covering, and then they then together walk in love and obedience to the Lord. Now you see, what you don't do, wives, is grab the umbrella and rip it out of his hands and say, come on, let's go, right? That's sinful, that's wrong. You might feel that inclination, the echo of Eve is in you. But the call of Christian women is come under his covering. Embrace him and let him lead. Let him carry the umbrella. Men, here's also what you are not called to do. You are not called to take this umbrella and attack her. Whoa. Attack her with it. You don't, you don't beat your wife over the head with the umbrella. You have to submit. I am the man. I am the dude in charge. You know, That is a mishandling of the authority that God has assigned, right? So the goal is protection, provision, love, selfless uh, pouring out of oneself for your spouse and for the wife. Come in, joyfully tuck under his headship. It's a beautiful display. Why stand out in the rain? Why, Why stand out here? Come in under the covering of your husband and honor God in submission. What about mutual submission? There are a number of uh, people who have written a lot about this. Uh, Gilbert Belzikian was a huge proponent of the egalitarian push in churches years ago. I was actually in a church that was pushing this way, and I couldn't believe how mishandled this verse was. Okay, let me, there's basically one verse that teaches this, and it's lifted out of its context. Okay, so this is the verse where mutual submission comes. Before I go there, let me just say this. Um, if you're driving down the road and, and you're supposed to mutually drive and, and there's a fork in the road, like, how does this actually work? This is what I want to know. Well, yeah, I, I think we should go this way. And she says, well, I think we should go this way. So is mutual submission, everybody lets go and you crash? Uh, is mutual submission, everyone grabs on and then wrestles? Marriage is not a two-headed monster. This is absolutely not realistic. This is is a dream. You try to do this, and it is wreckage. It's wreckage. I've seen it in counseling over the years. Mutual submission comes from this verse, mishandled. Paul is writing to the church. He's calling in to apply the the gospel and, and live out the Christian life, and then he says this, submitting to one another out of reference for Christ. But what's the next verse? What's the next verse? So if you take this in isolation, you might say, well, I guess we're all supposed to submit to one another and and husbands submit to wives and wives to husbands. No, that's not what he's saying. Listen to the flow. Submitting to one another out of reference for Christ. Now let me show you how this goes. Verse 22, wives, Submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Okay, so the call is to wives. So how how are we to do the submission thing? Well, wives, submit to your husbands. What about husbands? Husbands... Love your wives. He doesn't say submit. Note that. This is not mutual submission. As the head, you are called, husband, to love your wives. How are you called? What's the bar? 
as Christ loved the church. What does it look like to be the head of the home? Listen, he gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy without blemish. In the same way, Husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. This is not a selfish, domineering, you're here to serve my needs kind of headship. This is a I pour myself out for you. I lay my life down for your protection. I pour myself into whatever job God has given me for your provision. I am the head servant. That's what it is. That's what headship is, biblically speaking. So, Christian women who are married, respect the role that God has assigned to your husband. Respect his role and follow his lead. And remember this, it's not a perfect lead. It's imperfect, and it will be. This side of glory, it's always going to be imperfect. Is he going to do it right every time? No. No, follow his lead, tuck under the umbrella, join him there in love. I'll say more about that in a minute. Now, missional submission, the text that we have before us here today, verses 1 and 2, missional submission, this is what Peter has in view. Listen to how he says it. Likewise, which connects the previous categories of submission, now he's going to address Christian wives, Wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, that is, they're unsaved, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure behavior. That, that is a massive call. That is incredibly challenging. A few things then. First of all, wives, be subject to your own husbands. So let's be clear. If you're married here today, you are not called into submission to every Christian man. That's not what he's saying. He is saying there is a special display of humble submission that is to go to the covenant spouse that you have, your husband, that one man in this world that you spoke vows to when you stood before the altar. He is the one that you are to tuck under. Pay close attention to him. Submit to him as unto the Lord. You say, well, pastor, I would submit. In fact, I will submit when he finished the sentence. Okay, you ever been there? I'll submit when he starts acting like a Christian. I'll submit when he is a little bit more Christ-like. I'll submit when he treats me the way he ought to be treating me, and until he does, forget it. Oh, the instinct and the echo of Eve can find justification to rebel. It's not qualified here. In fact, even more so, think of this. He says to Christian wives, even if your husband isn't saved, you are called to tuck under his banner, his umbrella, his headship and authority. Whoa. 
That's not easy to do. That's a challenge. Now, why would this be the case? Why would there be a woman who is a believer who is married to a man who isn't? Well, think of what's happening at this time and continues to happen in our day. The gospel is spreading throughout the empire. There are people who are being saved left and right. We saw a few weeks ago many slaves were being saved. And the implications and dynamics that was created, well, many wives are being saved as well. Many of them are being saved, and their husbands are not believers. In this day, the, uh, the wife was to take on the religion of the husband. It was absolutely assumed and required. Interesting. This is revolutionary. What Peter is saying here, if you, if you are a believing wife and you trust Jesus, then continue on in your faith in Christ and seek to win your husband to Christ by the way you submit to his headship. I just want to pause here and, and say a few things about dating, about thinking about who to marry. I've had so many experiences where people will be like, oh, I, I just really like this person a lot. And the first question I ask is, is he clearly and unquestionably a believer? Is she so in love with Jesus that you'll never, you'll never catch up with that love? Is, is she obsessed with Christ? If the answer is no, then that person is not marryable. Absolutely not. Do not be uh, unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? And what fellowship has light with darkness? It's like trying to put oil and water together. Don't do it. Listen clearly. This is a command of your sovereign God. If you are looking for a spouse, look for a Christian and don't even play games or entertain any other direction. It is the single most important thing in your life. And trust me, I have been in counseling scenarios far too many times. I have seen horror stories play out where someone is like wishfully thinking. They, they, they try to justify Going into marriage with someone because of the label or this or that, or the person plays the game long enough to, to win the person, and then reality sets in. But you're married. You're married. What if you were duped? What if all of a sudden you realize the person that you married isn't saved? You're married. You're married. Paul addresses that in 1 Corinthians 7. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever, and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. So there is no ground for divorce because all of a sudden you realize one day, I'm married to an unbeliever. You can't divorce that person because of that, so long as that person consents to live with you. If they leave you, well, there's nothing more you can do. Paul would say, let, let him go or let her go. But there's not a grounds for divorce because of being unequally yoked. The call is, don't be unequally yoked. Don't marry someone who's unsaved. And then look at, the, look at the mission of this. How do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Whether your joyful submission in our text will be used by God to woo him, call his heart to the Lord? It takes us back to our passage. 
This Christian wife who is now married to this unchristian man, non-believer, is to live in such a way, submitting to his headship and authority, that he would be one without a word. Now, how do you win someone to Christ without a word? Is that a literal meaning? Can you be saved by just looking at someone's moral behavior? No. You need the content of the gospel. You need to see Jesus. You understand, Jesus lived a perfect life. He, he died an atoning death to pay for sin. And he rose from the grave, offering life to all who believe in him, such that any who believe in him will not perish but have eternal life. That's the good news of the gospel. Here's what Peter's getting at. I saw this in a counseling scenario years ago. There was a, a Christian wife who was married to a man. We weren't sure whether he was saved or not, but he was making terrible decisions, destructive to his marriage decisions. And she had had it. And one day she jumped on the bed and, and he was laying there and, and, and she starts growling, pray, just pray. Guess what? It didn't work. Shocker. Didn't work. She was at her wit's end. She didn't know what else to do. And so she just wanted to force him to be someone that he wasn't. You can't save your husband by willpower. You can't do it. You can't, you can't nitpick him into the kingdom. You can't just, just annoy him to death. So instead... Peter says, respect him, honor him, come under his banner and shine. Light the light of Christ. Make it so distinct, so amazingly transformative that the display of your life will lead him to say, what is going on with you? And you can say, his name is Jesus. He's changed me, right? That's what he's pointing at. The respectful and pure or chaste conduct of his wife. All of a sudden, she is a new person, a new creation in Christ. And the husband is like, this is powerful. She is changed. I need to know more. What's going on with this? It's missional submission. Think of how many men God has saved in this way. I mean, just think. We are going to spend eternity with scores of men who will say, by the grace of God, he saved my wife and I was blind to the glory of Christ. I hated Christ and I hated her for loving Christ and I, I made her life miserable and she didn't quit. She prayed for me. She loved me. She held in there with me and one day by grace, God opened my eyes to see the same Savior. That is worth it. Hmm. The gospel witness of a submissive wife is a powerful thing. If you find yourself here in that situation, I just want to encourage you, hang in there. I have known a number of godly Christian wives over the years whose husbands care nothing for Jesus. And it's heartbreaking to see but praise God, it is precious to see a persevering obedience to the Lord in submission. Now, 
Let me say a few things that submission is not. Okay, some of the few things that submission, sometimes you benefit from seeing what it is. Let me give the contrast, okay? I got these from John Piper. Six things that biblical submission is not. For the sake of clarity, I'll just run through these. Submission is not agreeing on everything, okay? Uh, or second, uh, it doesn't mean leaving your brain at the altar. I heard not long ago, biblical submission is, he's always right. Dead wrong. That could not be more wrong. Trust me, he is not always right. I know from my own experience. It is a fool who says to his wife, I'm always right, submit. The man should see the beautiful gifting and knowledge and intellect and Tremendous wisdom that is there as a resource in marriage and leverage it and fan that flame. So submission is not, I do nothing, he makes all the decisions, I have nothing to bring to the table, it's all about him. No, you are not a doormat to be tread upon, Christian wife. You are to be brought in to the process Working together. I, I look to Jenny so often in these things. I, I just love her wisdom. I look to her. Bounce things off of her constantly. At the end of the day, however, if there is a decision to be made and we are at an impasse, the Lord is looking to me ultimately to make that decision. And I love her by doing so. Gently, kindly, graciously, Bringing her into the process, okay? So, number three, submission does not mean you do not try to influence your husband. Just think, this, is, this would be the epitome of influence. He's not saved. I long for his salvation. I will seek to win him without a word. That is the whole point of this submission to the Lord that would, that would seek to influence him into the beauty of God's grace. And so, can you save him? No. Can you woo his heart and pray, oh Lord, let the display of my life shine so that he sees the change? Absolutely. Submission is not putting the will of the husband before the will of Christ, right? So, if your husband says, let's, let, let's, let's go into sin, follow me into sin, submit into sin with me. The resolve of the Christian wife is that will never happen because I am submitting first and foremost to Christ. He is my sovereign. I obey him. So if the husband wants to participate in some immoral behavior or activity, the answer of the Christian wife is no. That's not who I am. I will have no part in that. But, but the response is not a bitter, divisive, calling him. It is a, it's, a, it's a response that would show forth, oh, I long to want to follow you, but I can't into sin. I will not follow you into sin. Such that the husband would see that and maybe be convicted by his wife's shining bright of righteousness in contrast. Submission does not mean getting all of her spiritual strength from her husband. I like this. Piper built this out. This was helpful. Uh, for the, the unsaved man who says, hey, let's sleep in on Sunday mornings. 
and, and we'll have some pancakes and we'll watch the game. The Christian wife says what? After church, sounds great, right? After church, first, I'm going to go worship my king. Where else would I be? I'm a Christian. And then I'm coming home. We're going to have pancakes. We'll watch the game. Yes, let's do that, right? You see that never putting husband in front of Christ. Where do you draw strength as a Christian woman? You draw strength from your Lord and Savior. You draw strength from the Word of God. You draw strength from, from your family here. You've got to be here. Don't forsake the gathering together, as is the habit of some. That is a command of Scripture. So Christian wives make it a point to be in worship, even if their husband cares nothing about it. Maybe someday he'll follow you, tag along. Yeah, it seems to be pretty important to her. I guess I can tag along. Who knows what God might do? Make the priority. Draw strength from the Lord. Number six, this is an important one. Submission does not mean living in fear or under abuse. Oh, how many times throughout history has the quote-unquote Christian man called his wife to submit with the strong arm of threat as if somehow his strength given by God is for her harm. That is the abuse of this authority. It's wrong. It's completely hypocritical. You are not called to live in fear or under abuse. This submission is respectful. It is unto the Lord first and foremost, and it is a a submission that honors your husband, but never is just a punching bag. So, Biblical submission is not any of these things. It's helpful to see that. Now, let's go on to verses 3 and 4. Imperishable beauty. These are gorgeous verses. I just love these verses. Imperishable beauty. Do not let your adorning be external. The braiding of of hair, uh, the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Now, in case you're tempted to say, oh man, pull that hair tie down. Braid? What braid? What, I, jewelry? What jewelry? Don't worry, okay? This is not one of those blanket absolute commands that women should never do their hair or, or that, that jewelry is sinful, okay? So, if that was the case, clothing is on the list. we got a big problem there, right? So that's not what Peter's saying. It's not wrong to do your hair. It's not wrong to wear jewelry or, or to in, enjoy a, you know, an article of clothing that you've found. But why is this here? What, what does this have to do with submission? That's the question. How did we get here? I thought we were talking about submission. Now we're talking about clothes. Here's what it is. What is the prevalent focus, the, 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 the thing that pre- preoccupies the Christian wife? What is it to be? Not the exterior. It's not about the exterior. The world would say it's all about the exterior. What does God say? It's what's in here. True 
imperishable, unfading beauty. It's right in here. It's character. It's character. What does Satan like to do? He, well, he likes to take hairstyles and make them an idol for your heart. Makeup, jewelry, build the list out, clothes, handbags, shoes, fill it in. I don't know much about most of these categories, right? It's just, there's all kinds of things that can become idols of the heart in a pagan day. Just like back in that day when braiding of the hair was this huge presentation and women would walk with this crazy hair thing and it was, their, their identity was tied to their hair. It's interesting because it happens in our day still, doesn't it? Just a note on this. The call to Christian women is modesty. Uh, ladies here in this church, I commend you for this. I commend you. Someone asked recently, how is that in your church? And I was like, you know what? I am proud of the ladies in our church for the care that you show in, in modesty. Keep it up. Keep it up. Now, when you walk into the hair salon, don't be surprised that a godless age would present you with hairstyles that are a rejection of God's glorious design, right? So stand out. Be careful what you choose when it comes to hairstyles and makeup and jewelry and clothes and on down the line, right? Honor God and stand out from a godless age. True and lasting beauty, though, is what's inside. The hidden person of the heart. Isn't that a just beautiful language? The hidden person of the heart. Men, if you're looking for a woman to marry and you are looking only exterior, you're in for trouble. What are you primarily seeking to discern? Who is she inside, in her soul? What is her character? What does the love of Christ look like? How does it shine? A gentle and quiet or tranquil spirit is very precious in God's sight. Does this mean that if you're an extrovert, you're just out? Like, is that what this is? All the introverts score. Yes. No. That's not what he's saying. He is saying that there is something of the display of a woman who is so settled in who she is in Christ that there is a confidence. There is, there is a, a gentleness, a calm, unconcerned of, of what the world may think and assess. One who cares primarily what God says, who looks inside. You find a girl like that, marry her. That is a marryable woman. That's true beauty. That's true beauty that will be there when she's 80, just as it's there when she's 20-something. Cultural rebellion. It's weird because we live in a day that just doesn't, that doesn't value these things. <laughs> I remember when when you would walk into a public school and there were signs that said stuff like character counts. That wasn't all that long ago, right? What happened to that? Where did that go? Now you walk into school and it's find your identity in your sexuality. Find your identity in all of the things that you are set against. Find your identity in everything but who God designed you to be. 
That is rebellion. And you know what it is? It's satanic. It's, it's from the pits of hell. And it is harming, harming the generations that swallow it. Oh, the sadness I feel when I watch the news and I see the, th- the things taking place that are just propagated in our day. If you want to be an alien and a stranger, listen to these verses. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train up the younger women. Younger women, listen now. What are they training them up to do? To love their husbands and their children. They are training them to be self-controlled and pure. They are training them Get ready to work in the home. That's countercultural. Working at home. Does it mean a woman can't have a job? No, that's not what it means. It means that the primary calling of a Christian woman is her husband as his helpmeet and the children, if God bestows those kind gifts. They are the primary calling of this woman's life, and it is that calling that is so highly esteemed in God's Word and so lowly esteemed by our culture that it is looked down upon. Christian woman, if you have a job, it's not automatically sin. But let me just say this. If that job sacrifices your husband and your children, it is sin. It is sin. And repentance needs to come. And change needs to follow. There is a beautiful display of a man and a woman coming together in Christ and creating a family and a home for kids to be raised. This, much the opposite of the assessment that I read this past week in the news as as it being a threat to our nation. Can you believe that? That was viewed as a threat to our nation. That there would be one man and one woman who raise kids in a, in a home. This is God's design. And it's good. What's on the line? Working at home, kind, submissive to their own husbands. There it is again. There's order, not chaos. There's structure. There's authority. There's submission. It's a beautiful display. What's on the line? Well, the Word of God will either be reviled if we reject the call of God, or it will be esteemed when it's displayed for the world. It stands out. It is is a light in the dark. Hmm. Now, courageous holiness. Let's look at these verses. These are some challenging verses. I'll tell you that. Courageous holiness, verses 5 and 6. Peter says this, For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Okay? All right. Someday I'm going to get Peter and and, and sit down with him and be like, Peter, here we are. just walk through this. Like, how, how did this come about? Obviously, this is God's word, okay? So, so God wrote these verses through Peter, 
And I, with great humility, struggle to understand them fully. But this is the example that Peter chose. Out of all the, the, the ones he could have picked, he picked this one. So first of all, just big picture. If you pull back and look at the, the holy women, look at this, the holy women, pull back and consider the holy women in Scripture. I mean, just a short lift off the top of, of my head. I got Sarah, Esther, Ruth, Hannah, Abigail, Mary, the list goes on and on. What is true of these women? Were these women like rebelling against men? trying to usurp their man's place. No, they were women who supported their man, their husband. They found ways to encourage his headship and leadership. They were referred to by Scripture in this category, the, the holy women. The opposite of that, those evil women did that. They, they threw off the cords, right? They, they pulled down the, the men who were in their life. And so there's just a point of contrast that's worth observing. Sarah is caught showing respect for Abraham under her breath. That's, that's the best I can do with this. Is, <laughs> I don't know how else to say it. Um, Peter quotes this, this passage where Sarah refers to Abraham as my Lord. Let me read it to you, and you'll understand why I was just scratching my head here. The Lord said, so God has come now to Abraham and is promising um, that there will be son. And uh, here's how it goes. I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old. I mean, very old and advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed at the promise of God. That's not a good thing. That, you know, you shouldn't, that's not really something you want to do. When the Lord says, I'm going to do it, you're like... Phew. And then she says this to herself. She's talking under her breath to herself. The Lord knows this. He, he always hears everything. After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? That's what he quotes. And, and I'm like, wow, that... Okay, I mean... The best I can understand is that she is caught under her breath, reverencing and esteeming and showing respect even to her old husband by referring to him as my Lord. Lowercase l, to be clear. But nonetheless, respect is in view. What I want to especially point you to, though, is this. Holy hope and fearless submission. Because submitting to your husband can be very scary. Right? You're, you're choosing to surrender control that is so in us. Right, We always want to have control. We want to decide our own destiny. It's just part of that rebellious um, control grab. And so submitting to a husband is, is relinquishing that control and joyfully tucking under his lead. Can, imagine being Sarah when, when uh, Abraham shows up and he's like, hey, let's pack the car. We're going to go. We're moving. And she's like, what? Where? Oh, I don't know. The Lord said we're, we're supposed to head out, and he's going to show us where we're going. Well, okay. That's not easy. How many of you women would, would be able to jump on board with that? That's fearless submission. That's what that is. Look at the, the way this reads. The holy women who hoped in God. That's a trust. 
a confidence in God, and then submitted with fearlessness. You are the children of Sarah if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. As hard as it might be to relinquish control and to trust that man, trust God and do not fear. So, now the husband, verse 7, the husband's heart, I think, is especially in view. The husband's heart. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as a weaker vessel. Since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Okay, so men, listen up. Husbands here, this is a call to you, to, uh, to, to the way that you are to carry the umbrella. This is how you are to carry this, this um, authority that has been assigned to you by God. First of all, live in an understanding way. The, literally, uh, the, the text reads, live according to knowledge. So part of this is just know your wife. Understand her. But then it says, showing honor to the weaker vessel. And we've got to ask the question, what, what does that mean, weaker vessel? Well, God in His design of biblical masculinity in designing men has given us a unique strength, generally speaking, to men. That is a different display when it comes to biblical femininity. God's design for female or for woman is different than his design for men. So there is, generally speaking, strength here that is not here, okay? If you've ever wondered if that is true, this is helpful. Um, when, when, when men who claim to be women jump in a swimming competition with women, what happens? They win. They win. Well, why is that? Because the bone structure and the muscle density and all of these things, they're different by design. A man is not a woman. He's not. A man is a man, and he is created with masculinity that is to the glory of God, and it is unique to maleness. A woman is feminine in her um, creation of God for His glory, unique and special glory that is intended to be embraced. So we live in a culture that rejects even the most basic distinction of male and female, masculinity and femininity. Let me just be clear. Men, be men. You have a strength that God has assigned to you not to be overbearing or to, to push down your wife, but to protect her, to cover and provide and bless Women, you have been created by God in such a way that when He does that, there is a joyful covering and protection of God that's functioning in that. Honoring your fellow heir. It's a fellow heir by the grace of God, right? The gift of life. So the husband is called not to take the umbrella that God has assigned and hit his wife with it, submit Submit, I'm the one in charge. That is godlessness. That's a mishandling of strength. Push you down. I'm going to step on you. I'm going to turn you into a rug. That's not what biblical masculinity is designed to do. The man is to take his strength and to provide a banner for his wife. And to honor her. To show honor to her. To bring her in. 
If he begins to do this, guess what happens to his prayers? God says, I'm not going to listen to you. This is in the Bible. A man who lives an entire week demeaning and downing on his wife and pushing her down just and calling it submission and then shows up on Sunday to pray and rejoice and all of these things, God says, I got nothing for you. I close my ears to your prayers. That is significant. How serious does God take when men mishandle their strength? It's a huge deal. And it should serve as a warning to all men who are in a position in marriage of bestowed authority. Be aware. Be responsible. Handle that to the glory of God and the blessing of your wife. Not to crush her, but for her honor. She is going to be in glory with you together. You share in the same value. You share in the same dignity. You're one in Christ. So, our response this morning, there's so many ways this is going to work itself out this week. It would be great, married couples, to go home and talk this through more. Because you know what? We're all in progress. All of the marriages represented in this church are growing and being refined. Men, I guarantee we can do a better job this week than last. Without a doubt, invite the feedback of your wife into that. How can I cover you more like Christ? How can I grow in this? And ladies, embrace this as God's best for you. Young people, if you want to know what it means to be a husband, then listen to the Word of God and embrace His good design. If you want to know what it means, young ladies, to be a, a godly wife, then embrace these verses as God's good design. What is needed to obey this is courageous, countercultural headship and submission. So, husbands, are you holding the umbrella for your wife? Wives, are you coming under the umbrella in love? I did a men's retreat years ago in California, and there was a guy on the retreat that was uniquely just challenged by God. And uh, he was married to what I would call one of the more intense ladies in the church. <laughs> uh, she was a very strong woman. And he had basically become a puppy on a string. And he just didn't want to challenge. He didn't want to, he didn't want to go through the, the work. And it was just easier to just follow along, happy wife, happy life, and, and, and just let it happen. 30 years of this. God convicts him through passages like this. And he goes home from the men's retreat and he sits down with his wife and he apologizes and pours with tears, pours his heart out and says, I have failed you. I have not honored God. I have not carried my responsibility, my role as the head of this home, and I am sorry. Will you forgive me? You know what she responded with? A soft heart and tears. And she said this, I have prayed for this for 30 years. Here, take the reins. Take them. I will gladly come under this umbrella with you. Lead on, my husband. And God changed their marriage. He can do that for you as well. 
Hold that umbrella in love and lead like Jesus. Wives, tuck under, joyfully submitting your will for the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for verses like this that remind us and anchor us back into the best way. You are the creator. You are the designer. You have made male and female. You are the one who who calls masculinity out for the men and and femininity for your glory for the women. You are the one who designed marriage and you have modeled it through your son, Jesus Christ, in his love for the bride, the church. We confess our inclination toward rebellion, our just, just spinelessness to float along with the culture all around us. Make us those who would embrace this call, stir in us a desire to obey you and to trust you fearlessly to apply these things in our lives. Lord, for those who are young, who are seeking to find a godly spouse, I pray that these things would lead the way, that they would really honor you in all of these ways. We delight in you, and we thank you for your help as we seek to live these verses out. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.